Oh, hello. I was just working on a multi-million dollar contract extension for one of my clients. I know what you're thinking. An extension? That sounds great. But Paul, where's my extension? Well, the possibilities are limitless if you wait until next season. But I was in line to make 70 million bucks. I was probably not worth. Well then, better call Paul. I'll make sure you see less than a fifth of that. I was out having a great time partying when the league slapped me with a five-game suspension. Better call Paul. I'm number one on your speed dial right next to your weed dealer. In this game, sometimes money is beside the point. Money is the point. Sometimes in this game, it's better to take what you're worth and not what you can get. I'm not sure that's right. Maybe you're not the right agent to help me get rich. I will atone because I'm a good man and I am clutch. Better call Paul. This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, statements from the Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide. The Barty Party's back on track. Who throws a potato? <laughs> Honestly. And we chat to former NBL gun Cody Ellis. He was very generous with his time, very open and frank too. Can't wait. Let's go. It's just after 9.30 Western Standard Time on Tuesday, the 31st of August, 2021. And boy, it is an exciting episode this week. But as we do at the top every week, Stewie, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, yet another massive, massive week in sports. I mean, got to start with something that happened just today. Cristiano Ronaldo is officially re-signed with Manchester United. It mm. looked like he was going to move to Man City. Yes, at the 11th hour. And Man United picked him up on an absolute bargain. So that was a, a crazy thing to read just before I got here. One of the more touching moments in sport was the Afghanistan flag being flown at the opening ceremony of the Paralympics, despite their athletes unfortunately being unable to attend for fairly obvious reasons. Yes, of course. On that note as well, I do have a new favourite Paralympic sport, goalball. Yes, yeah, you were telling me about this last night. <laughs> so if people have missed this, this is an absolutely brilliant game. It's basically three people defending a goal, the width of a volleyball court against a ball with a bell in it. So basically if you make a save, you pick the ball up and you hurl it towards where the opposition goals are and the three of them listen to the bell and try and stop it from going in. It is just amazing. Some of the wind-ups for the shots are out of this world. It's, it's a really entertaining spectacle. Worth looking up on YouTube if you've somehow managed to miss it. Now to India we have to go. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Another cheating scandal. Yes. We would love to have talked about the cricket at length this week, but it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. No, no. Chock-a-block this week, but it's going to be a good one. But absolutely, the Poms pulled India's pants down. And, <laughs> and Unintended. Probably the biggest talking point for me is the Rishabh Pant illegally taped gloves. So first England get caught stomping on the ball, and now this. I have to ask, why is this not being more of a big deal? Well, maybe it is in other countries and maybe our media think that they can't because of the glass houses thing. But as we can see, the Indians and the English are probably in glass houses too, aren't they? And the worst part about it was that Pant actually took a catch to dismiss Dawid Milan whilst he was wearing the gloves with the illegal tape on him. So it could have been even worse for India. Yes, yes. Now, a couple of basketball things before I hand over to you. A really crazy stat that one of our mates presented in a messenger chat last week. Now, Kyrie Irving and Clay Thompson were both drafted in 2011, right? Uh, I'll take your word for it. Now, we know that Clay Thompson hasn't played a single game in the last two NBA seasons, but get this. 
Clay Thompson still has played in 33 more regular season games than Kyrie Irving has. <laughs> yes. That just doesn't seem possible. Well, he goes, he likes to go AWOL. Yeah. And a crazy little NBA thing to round this out for me, Nikola Jokic, he will be the first reigning MVP to not get a game on opening night or Christmas Day since the NBA started playing those five headers on Christmas. Oh, there's been a complete lack of respect for Jokic and the Nuggets. And yes, Murray is still injured and he will be injured come opening night. But yeah, that is a slap in the face. It is. How about yourself, mate? Well, as you said, the Paralympics have been fantastic. I've seen bits and pieces here and there. And there's been some really wonderful stories on ABC as well about the athletes and, and some, some hard and, and tear-jerking stories too. But it's just it's just held in such great spirit, isn't it, the Paralympics? There's just so many wonderful... Like the two swimmers that were best mates that both medaled was just fantastic. I think we'll probably try and talk... At, yeah, at, we'll, we'll at do length. a bit more on that next week. At length, yeah. But the thing, that, the thing that caught my attention this week was today, actually. And Bishop Sycamore from Ohio copped a 58 to nothing shellacking at the hands of IMG Academy in high school football in the States. Now, I'm going to quote ESPN commentator Anish Shroff. He said, Bishop Sycamore told us that they had a number of Division I prospects on their roster. And to be frank, a lot of that we could not verify. They did not show up in our database. They did not show up in the database of other recruiting services. So, okay, that's what you're telling us. Fine. That's how we take it in. But from what we've seen so far, this is not a fair fight. And there's got to be a point where you're worried about health and safety. So ESPN have bizarrely arranged this match, which happened to be two days after a previous match that Bishop Sycamore had played. And the, the physical demands of, of football are such that you should not be playing games a couple of days apart. No. How the hell this got on television is anyone's guess. But now people have done further research. And believe it or not, not only have Bishop Sycamore never won a game, they've only scored more than eight points once. So for those that don't know your football, one converted touchdown with a two-point conversion, basically, but it could be... Or a, it could be a combination Or a of field things. goal and a yeah. touchdown. Yeah. It's not many points. Or... A safety. It could be. It could be four safeties. But how's this? They're an online-only charter school. <laughs> so the game should have been on Madden. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well done. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I sound like a bit of a broken record here, but Saturday football again. Little one had tonsillitis over the weekend. The wife was at work. So Dr. Daddy missed out on Saturday football. Ah, both mm. games. Most of both games. Oh, dear. Thankfully, not all of both yeah, games. Yeah, right, right. All right, well, I've got you covered there. Yeah. What did you miss, mate? Well, actually, I don't have you completely covered. I did miss the beginning of the Melbourne-Brisbane match, but got there in time to see that huge mark from Luke Jackson, and he had quite an interesting game on many fronts. Lost a, lost a tooth. <laughs> uh, yeah, lucky, so... Lucky to only lose one. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get there. Well, we're absolutely delighted to speak with our very special guest this week. He's a man who played collegiately with the St. Louis Billikens. We're going to have to ask him what that means. Where he was on the Atlantic 10 all-rookie team and was also the Atlantic 10 sixth man of the year before a stint in the NBL with the Sydney Kings, Laura Hawks and Cairns Taipans. Not only did he represent his country, he's now a star for the Warwick Senators in the NBL West. A very special welcome to Cody Ellis. Boys, thank you for having me. No, no, thank you for being here. Yeah, appreciate thank it. you very much. We appreciate it very much. So the first question, obviously, is what is a Billiken? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one that's been asked to me a fair few times. It's basically a mythical good luck creature. 
Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, fairly odd-looking, Buddha-ish looking creature that, uh, yeah, is slightly terrifying, um, <laughs> but slightly cute at the same time, if, uh, if that's possible. <laughs> so a slightly off-putting mascot then? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> oh, I love it. That we is... thought we'd start with the hard questions first. Well, yeah, we've got it. <laughs> yeah, the hard-hitting stuff. Definitely. No, look, <laughs> the stuff that we've obviously got to talk about is the recent stuff that happened at the Olympics. So obviously the Opal was a little bit disappointing, but the Boomers finally won a medal, which is great. Josh Giddy selected number six in the NBA draft. How strong is Australian basketball at the moment? Uh, about as strong as it's ever been, I reckon. Look, it's, it's obviously tough to compare eras, but basketball as a whole is just on another level completely than what it's ever been. And Australian basketball has, has kind of grown with that and probably at a bit of a quicker rate than, than what the world has as well. Um, so, look, we're especially down here in, in the NBL, we're probably one of the most talented leagues in the world bar the NBA, obviously. But, yeah, it's, it's certainly up there, man. And, yeah, obviously, like you said, the Opals were a bit disappointing, but the Boomers winning that bronze medal was was awesome. And, you know, like you mentioned in the Unreal intro, by the way, um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to represent the country playing basketball. So to see those boys conquer something that's never been done with, with all the Australian greats that have been through that Boomers program was, uh, was a fairly prideful moment. And I'm sure, you know, there, there was lots of people around Australia that felt the same. Did you watch with the family, mate, or who, who'd you watch it with? Mate, we were playing a game. I was oh, not impressed. No. Oh, I no. was not impressed. Um, oh. We started the exact same time, so I couldn't even catch any of it live. But, yeah, so, yeah, I was not happy with that. Oh. I uh, thought about chucking a sickie and being like, no, nah, I'm <laughs> crook, I can't do it. But, uh, <laughs> if ever you can season, be forgiven. Oh, mate, I know. Our season was kind of in the balance at that point anyway, so it was, uh, yeah but have certainly watched the replay and it, uh, it was amazing, man. Well, you've given us a great segue then. We better get into why you're partly with us today. So we're massive fans <laughs> of basketball and supporters of basketball in Australia, but we must admit we should probably know a little bit more about the NBL One. So we'd love to know what can you tell our listeners and us about the NBL One competition and all the great players that are in it? Yeah, so NBL One is... It's a national thing now. So there's different competitions. You know, there's there's a Queensland one. Um, there's a Adelaide one, obviously the one here. And then I believe the Melbourne one as well. Um, so we are NBL One West, you know, obviously. And this is the inaugural season of it. So last year we had the West Coast Classic. And then before that was the SBL. So this is kind of... Uh, a bit of new territory, which is which is really good, and the exposure that the NBL One has brought for you know all the talent over here in WA is is really good, man. Because all the games are live streamed, and you know that's something that when I was in the NBL that I tried to push for because I'd come back and play for the Senators in the off season, and there'd be so much talent over here that kind of just goes unnoticed because we're so far away. We're basically another country over here. Hmm. Um, so, look, the, the NBL one has been massive and the fact that Basketball WA and Basketball Australia were able to implement, you know, that whole country as as kind of one big program is is just amazing. So there's also some big names like Scotty Machado running around out there too, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that signing kind of came out of nowhere. I was not expecting that. You know, I'm usually pretty privy to, to the signings that are happening around the league and 
that was that was unreal. Certainly unexpected. And kudos to whoever got him over here because, uh, man, he drew some crowds. And, you know, Mandra went on a tear. I think they won seven or eight games straight and came into the uh, – into the finals as, as a very tough team. Unfortunately, he had to take off and, and go do his uh, his NBL stuff over in Cairns with, with Adam Ford and the, and the new system. So, uh, you know, he couldn't be here to, for the finals. But, uh, man, it, it was awesome to have someone like that uh, be able to come and play here. So, look, you mentioned previously that the season was on a knife edge and, unfortunately, the Warwick Senators were knocked out in the elimination final. How do you personally rate your season? My season, personally, I thought I was all right. I was decent. I kind of had to take on a bit of a different role than I had in the past uh, couple seasons. I uh, kind of had to be a bit more of a scorer, just purely based off the fact that we had so many injuries that, uh, you know, we, we ended up having about a seven-man rotation by the end of the season. And, you know, something that we kind of hung our hats on in the past few seasons is our depth. And just with injuries, man, it was it was one of those things that it just it plagued us all year. So, you know, we ended up probably being one of the, one of the teams with the least depth, um, unfortunately, but is what it is. And personally, I thought I was uh, I was decent. Uh, actually, there was a NBL one awards night a few weeks ago, and they did MVP count and all that sort of stuff. And I was third in the MVP count for the league. So, wow! Congrats. Um, Congratulations! That's, yeah, that's, yeah that's something that uh, again I was not expecting because uh, we have some amazingly talented basketballers on our team. And we kind of all steal votes off each other. So, <laughs> so that was, uh, was yeah, it was certainly uh, a bit of a shock, but uh, I was pretty, pretty proud that my name was up there. Absolutely. Given the depth issues you had, did you find yourself playing out of position much? Or, uh, Look, man, I, one of the things I tried to pride myself on is, is my versatility. So, I mean, over the past four or five years, I've played anywhere from the point guard to the center. So, I don't really have a, a set position, to be honest with you. So, kind of where the game's going too, isn't it? Well, it really is, man. And, you know, our average height ended up being, with some of our lineups, was about freaking 6'7", six, 6'8", six, at our average height. So, yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's how the game's going. And you see guys in the NBA like... Nikola Jokic, who's seven foot and, and basically a point guard, or even... Unit, yeah, even so, yeah. Massive unit yeah. as well. One of my favourites. Oh, exactly. Absolute yeah. horse. So, but yeah, and, and guys like Ben Simmons, who's six ten and a, a legitimate point guard. You know, you mentioned Josh Giddy before. Same thing. Young kid who's who just keeps growing, and I think he's about six nine now. Legitimate point guard, and it, it's just it's the way it's going, man. And it's it's fun to see it evolve like that. A little little bit excited as an OKC fan myself. So, so <laughs> it's been magic. And you've opened the door there on the Ben Simmons thing a little bit. What do you make of his situation, mate? I think he needs to get out of Philly first of all. From the latest things I've read, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen for the start of the season. So I'm not sure how that's going to go. It just doesn't seem like a happy camp there. And look, I think for him, it's a lot of mental rather than his talent because he's got the talent. I think it's mental. You know, you could see it in that final series where he just didn't want to shoot it because he was scared to go to the foul line. Mm. And, um, you know, people who don't, or who aren't like fully invested in basketball or who have played at a, a level, like a higher level, don't I don't think really understand how mental the game of basketball is. And look, it's it's becoming more public knowledge now and and with all the mental health stuff. So it's a tough one. I think he needs to go to a team where he can be the man so he can kind of forget about that sort of stuff. 
I'd, I'd love him to go to my Knicks. That'd be great. I'd be happy with that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I think he needs to go to a team where he can be the man. He can be the go-to guy, get his confidence back, get him rolling. Because, look, he, he could be one of the best players in the league quite easily with, with his skill set. Absolutely. You've also mentioned the mental health thing, which is, I think, another open door here. What's it been like playing in COVID times? Obviously, here in Perth, we've been very, very lucky. Was that was the plan that the NBL one would be that the winners from each conference would then meet up to play in a tournament, or has COVID kind of affected the NBL one much? It has, man. It's it's uh, to be honest with you, when we when we lost our elimination game, I was upset that our season was over but I was also very relieved that it was because it had just been a mentally draining season and COVID had a big part of that while we weren't affected a whole lot we had a couple little weekends where we couldn't play because we're in those you know three four day lockdowns yeah look the end of the year was meant to be a big conference tournament with all the winners go away play against each other and that's not happening now because of because of COVID so it can really ruin a team season with the timing of it. You know, we we kind of hit a bump in our season where we started to play a bit average and then we went on that three, four-day lockdown over the weekend. So we couldn't play, couldn't train the next week and then couldn't play again the weekend after. It was kind of a good time for us. But teams that start to roll, mm. you know, that happens and then all of a sudden you lose any momentum that you have. And it, it, it is, it's, it's really mentally draining, man. And it's, it's something that it, it really affects teams. And, you know, I, I feel for everyone over in New South and Victoria and stuff like that, that uh, are really struggling right now, not just in the basketball world, but just in the world in general, man, it's, uh, it's tough times. Absolutely. Our hearts go out to everyone. And as I say, we probably don't realize how lucky we really are over mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. So NBL One's hitting finals time this weekend, and we've got the experience yep. of Greg Hire and Tommy Jervis with the Rockingham Flames versus the youth of Wildcats development player Andrew Ferguson and the Perry Lakes Hawks. Who's your tip to win it all, Cody? Man, that is a toss of the coin, that one. It's tough. Look, uh, it's hard to go against Perry Lakes because it's really it's it's a home final for them. And they're one of those teams that have played together for so long that, you know, their, their core group there, um, led by Ben Purser, is just, they're, they're tough, man. On defense, you know, they bite and scratch and push and <laughs> do everything that they need to do to, to get the win, man. And it's, it's, it's a team that you, that you don't like to play because you know it's going to be a dogfight, right? They do what they need to to win. But then on the other hand, you've got, like you said, the experience of some of those Rocco guys, you know, Tommy Jervis and Greg Hire have, have been there, done that on, on the highest stage you can in Australia. And then they've got a couple of really good imports in there and, and a couple of local kids that are, that are really tough. And they've got a core group that's kind of been together for a while too. It's, it's really a toss of the coin. I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with Perry Lakes purely because it's being played at Bendat. Yeah, Perry Lakes, for those that don't know, I guess, is basically the spiritual home of basketball in Perth and WA, isn't it? Yep, it sure is. It sure is. So, you know, the Wildcats train out of Bendat Stadium and, you know, their offices and stuff are all there. And, yeah, the, you know, the, the Hawks are certainly uh, certainly the the heartland of, of BWA. What can you tell us about Andrew Ferguson and any of the other young up-and-comers that we could 
could potentially see in the NBL in future seasons? Um, I think Big Ferg has, has taken leaps and bounds this season, man. Even from last year. So last year he played with Lakeside. He was at his height, you know, he's he's I'm pretty sure he's seven foot or he's six ten, six eleven. He's 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 a big unit. You know, he's put on a bit of size again and uh he, he's really evolved his game. You know, even even last year he was a lot more of like a, a pick and pop guy and wanted to shoot that three. Whereas now he's down in there um, you know, banging bodies with the bigs and he's he's got a really good little touch. He, he's a tough guard, man. He he's really good, and I think if he keeps improving the way he has just in the past twelve months, I don't see why you wouldn't see him on a roster somewhere. You know, you can't teach height, and with that, with the stroke he's got, it's just the advantage. Obviously, we have a new team now with the Jack Jumpers coming in too, so there's more seats at the table. Not as good as the name as the Billikens, but you know, <laughs> it's up there. It's, it's up there. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we can keep him in Perth. It would be nice to keep him on the Wildcats roster for many, many years to come. Indeed. Just quickly yeah. before we, we move on, we do have the women's final as well, the Willerton Tigers and the Joondalup Wolves. Have you got any uh, you know any preferences in terms of who, well, who you think is going to win that one? That's a tough one, man, because they had, they had three, between the two teams, they had three of the All-Star Five. So I think Willerton had two of them on the All-Star Five and, and pretty sure Joondalup had Kayla Steindl, I think. From memory, oh, wife, um, of course, of Clint. Yes, absolutely. So I listened to uh, Pete Hooley and, and Megan on the NBL One show today, interviewing Kayla. And she, you know, she's she's saying that you know her her family is now moving over to Tassie, obviously with Clint. So you know, she's uh, it'll be the last time she gets to play with with Joondalup. So she's she's got a lot riding on this. But man, watching watching Willerton play, you know, the, the few times I have this year, they are just tough from top to bottom. So. Look, I would probably go with Williton, but it should be a really good game. You know, the the Joondalup girls unfortunately knocked our girls out uh, last weekend, and you know we've got a rivalry against against Joondalup, so I can't really go for them, can I? <laughs> Uh, I guess not. Yeah, and I guess for for those listeners that don't know, Warwick's geographically quite close to Joondalup, so there's a natural yes. rivalry there. And of course, uh, those games can be viewed on the Friday night as the women's game, the Saturday is the men's game. Both can be viewed for free online on KO Freebies as well. So we certainly yes. encourage people to check those games out. Now, Cody, one of the, the tricky things, I guess, about growing up with WA sporting royalty in the family, so your, your father, Mike, yep. and your grandfather, Gordon, is growing up in the shadows of them. So what, was it hard growing up in the shadows of those two brilliant players? Yeah, look, it it was. I think obviously when I started, I I just wasn't really privy to, I guess, the magnitude of of how big you know the Ellis name was. You know, once I once I kind of started making state teams and and all that sort of stuff, it kind of it became more clear what the Ellis name meant to you know basketball in WA and Australia and stuff like that. So look, I think it was it was one of those things that I guess the older I got. And the more successful I became with basketball, the, the tougher it got because, you know, you'd, you'd have all those critics out there saying, oh, he's just there because he's an Ellis, blah, blah, blah. I guess the one saving grace I had was social media wasn't really a thing growing up. So you didn't really read into or listen to that sort of stuff. Um, it was more just like, oh, you hear someone say this here and there around a basketball stadium. So that was probably a, a good thing for me. but. 
you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was just, it was dad. Unfortunately, I, I never met my granddad, Gordon. Uh, he passed away two weeks before my mum and dad got married, but he was a big key to, to starting the Perth Wildcats. So yeah, the Ellis name is, is pretty big and it's, it casts a fairly big shadow, but I, I feel that, you know, I, I kind of paved my own way and, and did things that no one else in my family had done which which I'm, I'm definitely proud of. Absolutely, as you should be. And, and I have to say, that's such a great answer to that question. I Not to the same extent as yourself, but I, I do kind of understand. Like my father played internationally for Scotland. He was a, an excellent oh, basketball yeah. player. Yeah. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, and so for me, kind of watching him grow up as a, as a youngster and seeing yep. seeing how great he was, yeah, it, it was a little bit hard at times. For me, like I never lived up to his his standards, so I like I, right. always, I kind of always struggled with that. But yeah, I think one of the things that I was thinking while you were answering that is that yeah, your your game was very very different to to Mike's. I certainly watched a lot of yeah. a lot of him growing up. You, yeah, he certainly played a very very different style of game uh, to him. And next question that Nathan's going to talk about is is a little bit around that. Well, before I get there, I just wanted to to ask. So if I'm not mistaken, you were born the year of the first Wildcats championship, weren't you? So you wouldn't have even really kind of have any memories of those early Wildcats championships? Correct. So 1990. Yeah. And so it was 1990. And then the second one was the year he retired was after that. So I, uh, yeah, I don't have any memories of, of him actually playing on court. All I've got is is old video and, you know, he, he still tells me that he used to be able to dunk, but I've never actually seen video of it. So I <laughs> actually, actually, Cody, I can confirm that. Damn it! <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say, but I have seen your dad dunk. Nah, fair enough. Fair enough. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. But uh, yeah, so look, those early days, I uh, I, I don't remember um, watching him play, unfortunately. But like I said, I've, I've seen lots of video of it, and then he was still involved up until I was about 12 or 13 years old. So I'd go to trainings and I'd be around the team and all that sort of stuff. And still one of my probably fondest memories of that was when they won it in 2000. And uh, I was on the middle of, middle of the court after they'd won it. And, you know, all the guys had their big champagne bottles and cutting down the nets and all that sort of stuff. And big Paul Rogers came up to me and gave me a big bear hug and then just emptied a full bottle of champagne on my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, sensational! So, uh, yeah, look, I've certainly got some very fond memories of of the cats and a, and a cracking team there with Marcus Timmons. I think the towards the end of the Anthony Stewart years, I believe as well. Like, that was that was a great yeah, yeah. Jane Tarvey, yeah, yeah. Harves, yep, Flahoff, yep. Grace, yep. yeah, huge team, yeah, great that's, team, yeah. And a, and a great a great series against the Titans as well. That was a that was a really good championship. Yeah, yep, yep. Just yeah, so there was some. Unreal teams back then, man. So you carved out a terrific career in your own right. Tell us, what, what were the highlights of playing collegiately for St. Louis and going over there to the States and then playing in the NBL for several years as well with the Kings and the Hawks and with the Taipans as well at the end there? Yeah, man. Um, oh, look, it, it's kind of hard to to pinpoint one specific memory that is my favourite. But um, my senior year, we won a conference championship which was something that we'd set out to do in my four years there. And to be able to do that as the captain of the team, and we'd actually lost our head coach the year before, well, between my junior and senior year. So we we kind of had a one of the assistants step up into the head coach's role and 
he basically let us upperclassmen run the team, really. Wow. So um, it was an extremely emotional year. And, you know, we we started off the year three and three, and then we had to go to our coach's funeral after that, um, where we were we were the, the pallbearers and we, you know, carried his casket down and, and all that sort of stuff. And then we flew back and had to finish off the season. And, you know, we, we did it pretty strong and kind of did it for him. And, yeah, you know, we ended up winning conference championship in the Barclays Centre um, in Brooklyn. Wow. So that would have been so a tournament then, the NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, it did, man. So, yeah, so I went to the tournament twice. I was lucky enough to. Um, Fantastic. And that's, man, that's just a whole whole different level of ridiculousness to be honest with you it's just crazy the hype around that and um the publicity around it and it's yeah i mean just just that whole scene is is something that i'll never forget do you remember any big name players that you maybe came up against in your appearances there yeah man draymond green knocked me out of the uh the tournament uh, uh my msu uh, yes it, it was tough we came across them and you know they were one of the red hot favorites you know they were they were really good and we took it to them you know we really took it to them and you know it was probably about a minute and a half to go and it was about a one-point game and we were right in it and we just got some stops and they had a little point guard that had hit i think two threes all season and we this was when the shot clock was 35 seconds by the way so Bloody really long shot clock. You end up feeling like you're playing defense for half an hour. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't want to give up her boards. Yeah. Oh man, it's the worst. <laughs> Made you work when you're a defensive rebounding for sure. But uh, you know, we we played really good defense, and then the ball kicked around, kicked around, went to him in the corner. He'd shot it, the exact shot that we wanted. I think it nicked the side of the backboard, hit the ring, popped up hit the ring again, backboard, rolled around, and then rolled in. Oh, and, uh, kind of, uh, that, yeah, pretty much, man. Yes. And uh, that kind of broke our back, and then that was our, our season done. I'll, I'll never forget watching that shot. It felt like it rolled around for about 45 seconds. And, uh, yeah, so lost to Draymond, unfortunately. Well, yeah, which really sit, sucks. You, you, but, you uh, would sit in a boat with many there, Cody. I think a lot of people have lost to Draymond over the years. That was a very <laughs> good Spartans team. He's, uh, very he's good. carved a uh, hell of a career for himself. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, after you've obviously come back here, we yeah we assume you grew up as a Wildcats fan. So yep. one of the things that I kind of thought, what's it like playing against the team you've barracked for as a kid when you came back and played over in New South Wales? Oh, your want and desire to beat them is is tenfold. Not only because you you know you were a fan, but because of how successful they are. I say are because they there was no were because they are just constantly <laughs> successful. We're spoiled. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's ridiculous. So yeah, look, it's and you know what? I think that's probably when I felt Dad's shadow linger the biggest. You know, walking into to RAC with his. You know, as soon as you walk in through the players' tunnel, his jersey is hanging up to your left, just up on the rafters there. And uh, yeah, I think that is probably when I felt his shadow cast the biggest. So yeah, my first time playing here was extremely nerve-wracking. But um, man, it, it's it's so much fun to play uh, against them, just because they're so successful. That your whole team is just itching and eager. To win, and because it's such a hard place to win here, that uh, yeah, it's, it just magnifies. Do you miss it, mate? And, and are you a Cats fan again now? I do miss it. I do, and uh, 
to be honest with you, I still feel like I could contribute to a team. I'm I'm only 31. I feel like I'm I'm still playing really good basketball. So I, I definitely feel like I can contribute to a team, especially being 10 teams now. There's there's plenty of spots around, and you know I, I feel like there's guys that are, that are on rosters that I feel I'm I'm better than, and you know that's just part of it. But uh, in terms of being a Cats fan, man, I'm not a fan of or I don't hate any team. I just I'm enjoying watching every team because there is so much talent in the league now that it's it's really good to watch every single game. You know, and, and just the, the fight and the hustle and the fact that I know pretty much 90% of the players in the league personally that there isn't a team that I'd bury for over anyone. Can you dish some dirt on anyone? Who's like, is there anyone who's any surprising <laughs> stories about play? Is someone a joker that maybe seems serious or can, can you dish some dirt on anyone given you know so many people? Oh, I'll tell you what, Kev White is probably one of the biggest jokes that's going around. Okay. Um, one of the more serious cats on the court. But he, yeah, he is probably one of the biggest jokesters and, and kind of pranksters, I guess, going around. Absolutely love the Jock Landau mindset of the fact that you know that you're better than people out there. And I have to say, I don't disagree with you. I think there's definitely a lot of things that you could bring to an NBL roster. And look, it's one of the great bonuses, I guess, of having the NBL one being broadcast nationally is that a lot more of the teams will get to see players like yourself who you know, are still in the game and still have that ability and that want to be there. So obviously we wish you nothing but the best of luck in in, in that next step. Yeah, appreciate that, man. So thank you so much. You've been super generous with your time and and we've probably gone longer than we anticipated. So we like to ask ask this when we finish up. What's the best performance you've ever seen live? Now, this could be a game where you played in or it could be as a spectator or you could give us one of each if you like and it doesn't have to be basketball either. Bryce Cotton dropping 45 on me and my (laughs) Hawks in a grand final series. (laughs) That's going to be the most ridiculous and painful thing I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) Respect for that answer, though, man. That was amazing. Respect. Absolutely. Dude, that was – it was just – I still remember – I still just randomly come across highlights from that and just some of the shots he was making, man. It's just like, you're kidding. Like (laughs) – I love Bryce. I think he's awesome. He's a great. He's a great dude. You know, I've I've had a couple of really good chats with him, and and he's just an amazing player and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, that bugger cost me a championship. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, Cody. It was breathtaking. It was breathtaking, wasn't it? It was. It's easy to forget as well. Like that backcourt for that Hawks team was a very very good defensive backcourt. Yeah, exactly, and uh, it's probably one of the best defensive teams nbl wise that i've been part of absolutely um, yeah sorry i, sh- I then, shouldn't i yeah. shouldn't take anything away from the rest of the team just obviously with with bryce because it was what reese martin would have been going against him for a bit of that yep reese would have been just reese alone with his length and smarts and look bryce had a step on him but reese was so smart that he was he was such an underrated defender i thought mm. and oh man it, yeah it was just one of the most ridiculous things i've ever seen and been a part of and yeah, it's just crazy. It was crazy. And Bevo was your coach, wasn't he? So as a former Wildcats coach, you would have known a bit about the his opposition. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, that was kind of a blessing and a curse because uh, it was one of those ones where you'd almost kind of change what you were doing when you played the Cats because you felt like you knew them. So you'd, you'd kind of change some of your structure and, and what you'd do that had made us successful. And again, with Bevo, you know, he he didn't really leave the Cats on great terms. So his desire and want to beat them 
was immense as well. So it was, yeah, it was kind of a, a bit of a, a blessing and a curse. Well, thank you so much, Cody, for your time. We really appreciate it. You've been super generous and very frank and honest too, which has been really excellent. Do you have any businesses or projects or anything you want to plug? Uh, oh, look, not really. The only thing I'd say is is my guy, Nick, at the Perth Bandits. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard about the Bandits and stuff like that. Yeah, but, come uh, on Twitter, absolutely. Yeah, man, some of the, you know, the uniform designs he comes up with are just unbelievable. I've got a plethora of, of jerseys here that he's sent me that are uh, just amazing. And uh, I think what he's done to take off with uh, with that bandit stuff has, has been just unreal. Well, thanks so much again, mate. We really appreciate it. And we wish you nothing but the best. And, and I hope the NBL teams are listening because you've got a very fine player out there who would love to still get out there and compete. Absolutely. Boys, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. So, Shui, well, where do we start? Do we start? Should we get it out of the way like a Band-Aid? I'll rip it off and talk about my Swans one-point loss. Yeah, we probably have to, don't we? I said Swans by seven. You said Swans by 27 or 28. The truth was the Giants by one. GWS, 11 goals, 8-74, defeating Sydney, 10-13-73. It's all a bit of a blur for me, I'll be honest. Uh, but, too, many, yeah. too many Guinnesses? Uh, no, no, no. I was completely sober. <laughs> <laughs> the Guinnesses were later in the night. Ah. After the Brisbane-Melbourne uh, match, yeah. Yeah, what do we say? What a cracking game. And look, it's got to be said, the other three games were a bit disappointing, weren't they? It wasn't a spectacular... There was plenty to talk about, but there wasn't a spectacular first week of finals. And this is the thing. You kind of alluded to how the first week of finals last year weren't amazing. I went back and had a look. They actually weren't that bad. Aside from, obviously, the Eagles losing to Collingwood by a point, we had St Kilda winning by less than a kick against the Bulldogs. Port handled Geelong and Brisbane handled Richmond fairly comfortably, but it wasn't as bad as it looked. This was actually worse. Yeah, okay. It was okay. just, yeah, it was a fairly average week of footy aside from, unfortunately, the Battle of the Bridge. Yes, yes, indeed. And now GWS are 3-0 and against the Swans in finals. And the Swans, well, in my opinion, they didn't make the most of their opportunities in the first quarter. I thought that probably should have been up by one, maybe even two goals at the end of quarter time, uh, more than what they were. And then in the end, 70% of the time in the forward half in the fourth quarter, 17 inside 50s for two goals, seven. Now, admittedly, some of those were rushed. But, gee, they came home strong. They just couldn't get enough to get over the line. Two goals, seven, Nath. I have to ask the question again. Did the big moment get to some of the Swans? Um. Because this this is a bit when you're talking about yeah no it's it's an interesting question I mean some of them were rushed and Buddy missed a big one from outside fifty there were probably four that I would have said should have been kicked well the biggest one for me wasn't actually a shot on goal at all it was a missed opportunity Lewis Melican had an absolute shocker there were two occasions where he punched where he could have marked throughout the course of the game. And then in the fourth quarter, he had Isaac Heaney wide open about 45 metres out and he missed him. Yeah. That, he went long instead. Yeah. So that was that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it did a little. Maybe it did. <sighs> Lewis Melican, whose beak can hold more than his bellican. Yes. Well, yes. Mad Monday now. Yeah. And this is the thing. Like, it's not to say that the moment of the game, but it can be that individual moment. And we always talk about the, those little chokes, but they weren't... 20 metres out straight in front. No, no. But you would like your chances more often than not kicking from 35, 40 metres out on a slight angle. And unfortunately, those were the sort of ones the Swans did miss. And yeah, it does. It comes back to to bite you in the arse in a a one-point game, which is just devastating. 
The hardest thing for me is that I think Geelong are ripe for the picking. And so I think there was a really golden opportunity to play into a prelim at least and could have gone. You know, it's here in Perth on Friday. We, we were planning on going if it had been the Swans. So that's that's what hurts even more. Yeah. And I think the reason that it hurts even more, we, we kind of have to get to the big points now, is that the GWS Giants will be greenless. Yes. Officially. Both. Both greens Absolutely. are playing. Neither green is playing. But how's this before we get there? And that is the big story of the game, and we will talk about it in a moment. We've talked about superstition in sport a little bit, right? Yes. Swanee started really great. I'm just wearing my normal clothes. My girlfriend loves the occasion, so she brings out my scarf and beanie, puts it on me. GWS kicked the next five goals. I would have had those off after two. I did. I took them <laughs> off after the fifth, and sure enough, the, the Swanee... Fifth. Well, it, let it go they were all very quick. <laughs> I would have they were very quick. second goal that uh, had gone yeah. from me. <laughs> but sure enough, the Swans played better after that fact. So without ha- uh, Beanie and Scarf, the Swans were better. But with Beanie and Scarf, GWS oh. were better. And that was the difference. That was a killer. But anyway, all right. So end of the third quarter, Toby Green remonstrates, bumps the umpire. He's been given three weeks. God, how do we unpack all this? What do you reckon? Yeah, look... I think the league has pretty much got this right. They have made the statement that you are not playing again this season. I personally thought four weeks sounded about right. I'm not disappointed with three. As a you know, a casual fan, I do honestly think that they have to send the message, not just to the players in the AFL, but to the players at state level, right the way down to the under 10s running around. You cannot touch the umpires under any circumstance and get away with it. So let's go back to the incident itself. It's the end of the third quarter. Green's pissed off that the umpire gave away a free kick, which was there, I think. Mm. And he's walking over towards him. He said something along the lines of he took a fucking dive. He points aggressively at the umpire and then walks through him or bumps into him with his shoulder in a way that I would describe the way that blokes bump into other blokes in high school or at pubs when they want to start a fight, but they don't want to throw the first punch. Absolutely. That's exactly what it felt like to me. And I, to be honest, it probably softened the blow of the loss a bit because straight after the match, I literally spent hours on Twitter just scouring through all the interesting thoughts. And it's amazing the amount of people that thought that he didn't even touch him. The old boys club that defended him and said that he shouldn't have got any time. And then it was farcical at halftime of the Brisbane-Melbourne match where all the old boys club are slowing down the footage. They don't show the the talking and the pointing beforehand, which was really important contextually, I think, as far as intimidation was concerned. You can't just slow down the, the event as if it were an on-field incident. It's not a normal incident. People also bring up other times that people have touched the ref. For example, Lockie Neal uh, touching the ref when basically he looked like mankind after a street fight in WWE because yeah. he had claret dripping down his face. Completely different. Apples yeah. and oranges. Yeah. I was amazed at some of the reaction. It's got to be said. And I think just as surprisingly as the the old crew is some of the newer guys, Christian Petrarca on the radio defending him, saying he probably shouldn't get suspended for that. Well, yeah, it's it's surprising. They look after they look after their own though. They look after each other. But that's I mean, if, even if that's how you really feel, that's the time to play a straight bat and say, right, I don't want to comment on this. Mm. It's before the tribunal. It's up to them. Yeah, to decide yeah. That. Well, that's fair. It's, it's not a good look when you've got a guy who will be contending for a Brownlow medal, one of the top players in the league, could easily be on the biggest stage in September, and he's saying that this is okay. Mm. It's, it's just not really. Mm. So mm. 
yeah, he had ample opportunity to turn around and walk around him. He made the decision, the conscious decision to walk through him. Absolutely. Which in evidence he denied. He said he didn't intentionally touch him, which is complete bullshit. Complete bullshit. Absolutely. Just just like he he didn't intentionally kick Luke Dalhouse <laughs> in the face or, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, he pulled Bont's hair in 2019. He eye-gouged Lockie Neal one time in a final as well. So he's he's he does have a rap sheet. And a lot of the discussion was, oh, it's just because it's Toby Green. But no, if any player had done that, I would have had the exact same view. And we already have an issue in sport in Australia of umpires not being respected at junior levels. No one wants to be umpires. And I know, look, we talk about bad decisions that are made, but we certainly don't condone this behaviour. And we certainly don't condone trolling or anything like that. And I don't think the GWS Sydney game, from what I've seen anyway, I don't think it was umpired particularly badly. No, I think it was umpired quite well for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah. And and it's it's funny because we've kind of we talk about his background and the history of all the things that he's done. We've both got the exact same stat around the number of times that he has now been reported and charged. Mm, mm. So go for it, no. Well, on average, every eight games, 22 times since debuting in 2012 in 176 games. I mean, it's three times a season, basically. It's disgraceful. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely disgraceful. And one of the things that I heard about Toby Green is that he does, he operates so much in the gray area in terms of things that we haven't seen before. This is something we haven't seen before. You don't see much in the, in the way of eye gouging. You don't see much <laughs> in the way of guys pulling other guys' hair. All of these things that he does, they're just so unusual that you can't often use a precedent to determine what is or isn't a fair suspension or fine or whatever it happens to be. I think the league has got it right. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And Glenn Jakovic, for all the old boys club talking about, oh, you should only get a fine, Glenn Jakovic actually said he should get 12 weeks, which is half a season. It's a bit much. Which did feel like a bit much. But, of course, there was the Greg Williams incident where he got nine weeks all those years ago. That was a lot more aggressively. That was a a proper shove telling the guy. I must admit I haven't watched the footage again. It's it's a lot more aggressive. Yeah, okay. Can we quickly finish this? I do have to give you one fairly damning stat from this game. Go on. So GWS Giants kicked 11 goals in the game. Four of those goals came directly from clearances and three directly from inside 50 stoppages. Mm. Well, I remember seeing the clearance stat during the game at one point, yeah. The inside 50 stoppages, though, that's the time when you, yeah. you should have an extra defender or two back there. There's no excuse for that. Toby Green himself, I remember one in particular where a tap was straight down his throat. His defender, who I think was Chad Warner, funnily enough, was about three or four paces behind him. You just you can't let somebody that dangerous waltz into an open goal and that's kind of the difference in the game and mummy was excellent in the ruck too he was yeah yeah just on the swans quickly before we move on bloody hell i hope we keep luke parker because he was absolutely magnificent he took the team on his shoulders and if the swans had won it would have just about been through his efforts he was an absolute yeoman with joey kennedy and callum mills out two pretty important midfielders luke parker was absolutely spectacular so hats off to him essendon set to pounce well, uh, well, why wouldn't you? They'll, they'll, He's a great player. Why wouldn't you? They'll throw six hundred and fifty to seven hundred thousand a year at him. Yeah, well, George Hewitt and Jordan Dawson as well, and we definitely want to keep Dawson. He is magnificent. There is a bit of talk that the Swans might regress next year. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the salary cap squeeze. Yeah, it, it happens. Well, and and because so many of the the contracts that, that the Swans players have are, you know, backloaded because of what happened with Buddy, Buddy Franklin. Yeah, so yeah, they, yeah. they absolutely. So yeah, a little bit of a bit of a shame. 
GWS do move on. No Toby Green and no Tom Green as well with a fractured arm. So That's right. Yeah. It's yep. uh, look, it's going to be tough for GWS. We'll it get, really will. But we'll get to that in a, in a minute. We will. We will. So we'll move to the other elimination game, Stewie, as we bid farewell to another team. And we were both way off on this one. Just a bit, yeah. I had the Bombers by 19. You said 14. The truth was the Dogs by 49. 13 goals, 15, 93, smashing the hapless Bombers. Four goals, 12, 36. Essendon failing to kick a goal in the entire second half. Yeah, so I suppose a couple of key talking points. First one before the game even started. So no Nick Hind for Essendon. He visited a tier two COVID exposure site before the game even started. So not a a great start for Essendon. No, true. Not good preparation. But I think the big thing that's come out of this game is the unfortunate and disappointing reaction to four free kicks that were paid to Cody Waitman. Yes, yes. One of them was absolute bullshit. A couple of them were dubious. One was there, I think. I think two were there. Maybe two, But yeah, I mean, it's... There's definitely at least one was definitely not there and at least one if he won, if not two. Yeah. But you have to credit Waitman for this. He puts himself in positions where umpires have to make decisions and those decisions went his way on the day. I I think more players need to put themselves in those positions. And okay, sometimes you're going to get those calls, other times you're not. But in the case of this game, which was relatively close until these free kicks started, he's put himself in a position where he can be a game breaker. Well, he's the 36th person to kick four goals plus in their first final in their first 17 career games. So he's a young kid. He's only 18, 19. So that's an impressive effort. The 107th in VFL, AFL history to kick four plus in their first final. The first since Magic Door and Jeremy Cameron in 2016. The most goals on finals debut is nine by Plugger Lockett. Only nine. <laughs> oh, dear. The most disappointing thing here for me is all the Bombers fans jumping on his Instagram and trolling him and saying some really horrible shit. I like, seriously, guys, I know you're disappointed you lost, but you didn't kick a goal in the second half. Waitman is not the reason. And he's only 18 or 19. And we know so much about mental health issues in sport. Indeed, Cody talked about it in our, in our interview with him earlier. What a disappointing reaction from some Bombers fans. Absolutely. Probably don't really want to delve too far into this game aside from the fact that realistically when you look at this game the biggest factor in this aside from Waitman's four goals is just the Western Bulldogs smashed them in the midfield but I think the easiest way to sum this up is that Essendon were able to win the hitouts but the clearances were dominated by the Western Bulldogs midfield if you look at the hitouts plus 19 to Essendon but the clearances were plus eight to the Bulldogs they smashed them in close that's pretty much the difference aside from, obviously, the goals to Cody Waitman. And we were worried about the dogs' rucks, but you're right. If they're roving it well, and Liberatore was probably best on ground for mine, so he played himself back into form a little bit. Trelaw did a right as well, so they, they did get some, some good uh, production out of their midfield. Bont as well, of course. If you look at someone like Big Peter Wright, he kicked seven goals the last time these two teams played. Oh, smashed them. He kicked four goals in round 23. Not a single kick MIA. in the game. Not, yeah. not a kick in the game. Yeah. So what would be very handy there is if they had a decent crumbing small forward to mop those up and kick goals. Someone like, I don't know, Aratio Fantasia, who doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, he, he wanted to go back home to South Australia. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. the second best option would be, I don't know, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. So this is the problem that the Bombers have where they don't have that player available. Yeah, Irving Mosquito out too, who can kick some goals. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, unfortunately for the Bombers, they need to look at that 
and they're probably relying a little bit too much on the likes of Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt and I guess Dyson Heppel and Dylan Shield to a lesser extent. So they need a bit of help. Yeah, she was taking a step back a little bit, I feel. Mm. Yeah, as Parrish is taking a step forward, I guess. So the season is done for Essendon, but they're probably trending up. The Doggies will be playing the loser of the next match that we will talk about. I said Melbourne by 17. You took the Ds by nine. The truth was Melbourne by 33, 13, 15, 93, defeating Brisbane, nine goals, six, 60. In a pretty impressive performance, it has to be said. Who's better right now, Clayton Oliver or Christian Petrarca? I reckon Clayton Oliver is just about the best player in the competition at the moment, which is even more impressive when you consider the stat you gave last week about yeah. his kicking. Oh, him. absolutely. He is so good. But he was magnificent. But he absolutely ratcheted it up a, a level oh. or two. His, his kicking was superb. He, oh, he was excellent. So, yeah, they're so close to 1-1A one and one a right now. It's ridiculous. What I think was so impressive about this one, though, is the balance. If you look at everyone, they did their job. Oliver had 33 touches, Petrarca 30 and two goals, Bailey Fritch had four goals, Jake Lever 15 intercept possessions. Everyone's just doing what they're good at. Oh, Lever and May, they've got a great defense. They're, they're a very well-balanced team, the Melbourne Demons. Very, and of course, one of the best ruckmen in the competition, too, with Maxi Gorn. And surprisingly, Oscar McInerney actually played him pretty well. I mean, the hitouts were almost even. He got a little bit more backup, I guess, from Luke Jackson, but yeah, I mean, this was just such a balanced performance and such a statement performance by the Demons. You know, we, we talked about how important last week was them beating Geelong. I, I think that has given them the impetus to go all the way to the big dance this year. Oh, absolutely. I think we're on a collision course between Melbourne and Port, to be honest. So for Brisbane, there's a couple of things to come out of this game. Obviously, the the sickening blow that Daniel McStay took to the face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I saw, sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but someone used that picture on the game Doom. They implanted that onto the bottom of the screen when the guys got really little health left, and it was hilarious. Yeah. And it, but it was sickening. And, and it, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, but look, to be fair, that is probably the only thing that could make that quite funny. Yes. Yes. But yeah, really sickening. And, and unfortunately, that now adds to the woes that the Brisbane Lions have up front. They've got no McStay now for possibly the rest of the season, depending on obviously what happens next week. They've also got no Eric Hipwood. So it pretty much leaves Charlie Cameron and Joe Danaher, who was absolutely disgraceful in this game. Mm. After having a good last month, it's got to be said. Yeah. But as you said as well, he's just as likely to keep one goal oh, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and what did he have? Zero goals, one. Yeah. So yeah. The, the big positive to take out of this game, though, was Charlie Cameron. He was sensational. Five goals. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, most of the goals came from Smalls this weekend. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And look, one of the really great points I think that I've heard talked about is moving forward into this next game against the Bulldogs, move everyone in the forward lineup and say to the Western Bulldogs, I don't care who you put on Charlie Cameron, he's going to beat you. Mm. And see what happens. Roll, roll the dice that Charlie Cameron, one-on-one inside forward 50, is going to win more than he loses. We'll get to next week's games very soon, Stewie. But first of all, we'll finish off with Port Adelaide and Geelong. We're kind of going backwards chronologically. They were the Friday night match. Now, we were close on this one. I said Port by 26. You said Port by 23. The truth was Port by a pretty decent 43 points. 12 goals, 14, 86. Defeating Geelong, 5 goals, 13, 43. And it's got to be said, Geelong looked really flat, didn't they? And for all the good I mentioned last week in the stat about their finals appearances... They're actually one and six in qualifying finals since their grand final win in 2011. Yeah, they suck in the first week. Yeah, they they seem to. That is absolutely it. You're right. They looked old. They looked slow. 
it just didn't look like a team that's aged well. And they're really missing Tom Stewart. Yep. Really missing. And, and Zach Tui. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. He's huge. Zach Tui off halfback is huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And again, unfortunately, he's got a really bad reputation, but it's probably accurate. Gary Rowan again. MIA, but it's got to be said, a lot of the Geelong players will be on the side of milk cartons after that game. Gary Nowen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, look, Paddy Dangerfield was ineffective. I have not ever seen him bowl and miss so many easy marks and, you know, receptions. It's just he was not there. Mitch Duncan was their best player, mm. and he was a guy coming back off a, a fairly lengthy timeout with injury. Who, by the way, chaired off bloody Hawkins for his 300th. Why would you get a guy who's just coming back <laughs> off injury and sharing off your full forward? He's fucking huge. Yeah, that's probably not the greatest. Oh, idea. what the hell were they thinking? Yeah. I, look, we've seen Geelong do this before and rebound very, very quickly. But, geez, they didn't look great. They really didn't. And, look, we absolutely have to mention how good Port were. It can't be how bad Geelong were. Port made them look that bad. Port were magnificent. Their ball movement was phenomenal. The quickness of their hands, the, the quick... Chains of handballs. Oh, there were some beautiful little handballs through keyholes. Yeah, was, it was fantastic. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that set it all up was your mate. Four or five intercept marks in the first quarter alone. Yeah, five. Yeah, 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 huge. You just, yeah, second round pick for him. You just, right. Yeah, you just, but you couldn't get past him. He spoiled when he needed yeah, to. Yep. He took marks. He moved Gary Rowan out the way like he wasn't there. Aaliyah set up so much of the offense. Well, he showed why he was one of my favorite players as a swan, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, it's actually hard to find guys that didn't play well. Like, we often talk about passengers in games. There were no passengers for Port Adelaide. Port are looking very good. And like I say, Port and Melbourne, I reckon, are on a collision course. I mean, you look at, obviously, guys like Xavier Dersma was superb. Darcy Byrne-Jones, I thought, was spectacular. Probably one of the best games he's played for Port. And it's easy to get excited about the obvious guys like Ollie Wines and Travis Boak. But I think what Port will be most excited about was four goals to Fantasia and two goals to Stevie Motlop. Mitch Georgiades might not play again this season. Well, not only did Fantasia kick four, then the injury replacement, Pal Pepper came on and kicked two as well. So they had six between them. But it's really funny, like, during the game, BT was like, oh, do they consider taking... Well, they say Fantasia, apparently it's Fantasia. Do they consider taking Fantasia off? And all these people on social media were like, oh, BT's an idiot. Why the hell wouldn't they take off one of their mids like Boak or Wines? And then sure enough... Because they're not under... Exactly. Sure enough, he got injured. So BT was absolutely right on the money there, unfortunately. Just quickly want to, I guess, wrap this game up with the crowd. So firstly, how bloody good was the crowd? Oh, fantastic. Uh, It's a huge advantage. Absolutely. And they earned it by finishing second. That could be the best crowd we've seen all season. They were... Not even full capacity. It it felt like there were 70,000, 80,000. They were so loud and so feral. And speaking of which, probably the highlight of the season for me, after Sam Palpeber kicked his first goal off the bench, a very inebriated sounding Port fan, he must be about seven or eight beers at least. (laughs) Possibly more. Actually, probably more because they're mid-strength. (laughs) <laughs> could be heard very audibly over the microphone yelling out, let's go the fucking power. Oh, it was classic. Brilliant. Classic. Absolutely. All right. I feel like we're running out of time. So let's do our picks quickly. We've got on the Friday night, Geelong and GWS here in Perth. Who are you guys? Geelong by 12. I'll take Geelong by 16. Okay. Yeah. I think GWS's injuries and the Toby Green rub out is just too much. Geelong will probably win by 60 now. Well, GWS will probably win now. This is true. Yeah, no, but 
Although Geelong have some pretty gaping holes and I don't think they'll get past the prelim, I think they should be able to get past the Giants. Then on our Saturday game, we have the Brisbane Lions and the Western Bulldogs. Look, I think the Dogs found something this week and I think Brisbane lost something this week. So I think the Bulldogs will win this fairly comfortably. I think it'll probably be about 33. Hats off to Lockie Neal, who broke a record for 46 touches in a final. And look, maybe maybe against Brisbane, some of the Dogs' ruck woes aren't as bad, do you think? Maybe they won't be as exposed in the ruck against, against Brisbane, although you did say... McInerney played well. He was good. Yeah, yeah. But no Stefan Martin. They've well, he might... Oh, have? No, that he's been ruled oh, out. Ah, interesting. Okay, I thought he might come back. Been yeah. ruled out. Yeah. Look, this one's really, really, really hard to tip. It could easily go either way. I'll tell you what, the Dogs look like a different team with Aaron Norton in the, in the side. Even if he's not taking marks, he's bringing it to ground and helping the mids. But I will take Brisbane at home in a nail-biter. I'll take the Lions by five. Okay. Now, Shui, there's a lot of off-field stuff going on. We've barely even talked about the Carlton stuff. We'll get there eventually. But I've got to ask, where does the Jaden Stevenson BMX indiscretion rank on a scale of Corey Webster impaling his hand while cutting an avocado to Jay Williams ruining his entire NBA career by riding a motorcycle? I think it's probably about on par with Amari Stoudemire putting his fist through a pane of glass after losing a early playoffs game, I believe it was. Mm. I think it was in Miami. Okay. So it's probably about that level. Fucking stupidity, though. Seriously. (laughs) And now, this week in sport history. August 31st, 1968, West Indian Sir Garfield Sobers becomes the first cricketer to hit six sixes in a single over of a first-class game. (laughs) Playing as the captain of Nottinghamshire against Glamorgan, he absolutely dominated. Hmm. So little-known fact about this achievement. The first five sixes were all hit very cleanly over the boundary. However, the sixth and final six was actually caught on the rope by Roger Davis, but he was unfortunately unable to stay in the field of play and carried the ball over the boundary for the final six. It took until 1985 for Ravi Shastri to repeat the feat before Herschel Gibbs, Yuvraj Singh, Ross Whiteley, Hazratullah, Zazai, Leo Carter, and in March this year, both Kyron Pollard and Tissaro Pereira joined the party. August 31, 1987, the Great Potato Incident. Minor League Williamsport Bills catcher Dave Bresnahan attempts to lure an opposing runner off third base using a potato carved to look like a baseball. The umpire would call the runner safe and Bresnahan was fined $50 and released by the team. Bresnahan and his teammates had been planning the prank for a long time and with two outs in the fifth inning, he told the umpire something was wrong with his glove. After replacing it with one in the dugout with a potato... He called for a low outside pitch with the potato in his throwing hand. He then threw the potato over the third baseman and runner Rick Lundblad broke for home only for Bresnahan to tag him out there. When the umpires realised it was, and I quote, a fucking potato, they called Lundblad safe and Bresnahan was ejected and released the following day. According to Bresnahan, I quote, I think it was unfair to get released. I guess if I was hitting 340 instead of 140, it would have been different. Probably true. (laughs) (laughs) September the 1st, 1971, Australian John Newcomb becomes the first male top seed to lose in the first round of the US Open when he's beaten by eventual finalist Jan Kodas, 6-2, Kodas was more of a clay court specialist, having won the French Open the previous year, but his lack of success on grass, he'd never even made it past the third round in Wimbledon, and this was when the US Open was on grass. Oh, I've got some great trivia for that next week's show. All right. So that made this an even bigger feat. 
Curtis would also beat Arthur Ashe in the semi-final before losing to American Stan Smith in the final. Good morning, USA. Not that Stan Smith. Ah. He had an even better jawline. <laughs> As for Newcomb, though, he won the doubles with Roger Taylor, so it wasn't all bad for him. And Newcomb got revenge in the 1973 final, beating Curtis in a tough five-setter. September 2nd, 1977. Now, we've seen the stories of Laurel Hubbard, the transgender weightlifter from New Zealand who recently competed in the Tokyo Olympics. Here's a story that goes back perhaps further than you think. At the 1977 US Open, 43-year-old transsexual Renee Richards, who fought for over a year for the right to play in a major event, including suing the USTA for discrimination, is finally granted permission. Unfortunately for Richards, there was no fairy tale being beaten 6164 by Wimbledon champion Virginia Wade. This week in sport history. So the US Open has started in the tennis world. Shui and I caught a bit of the uh, Sloane Stevens madison Keys match last night on ESPN. We don't have a hell of a lot of time, but we'll race through a few things quickly before covering it in more detail next time. And just quickly before we get into that, just have to say, amazing bounce back from Ash Barty. She yes, take, after the Olympics, yeah. Yeah, took out the Cincinnati Open, didn't drop a set in the entire tournament. Really disappointing to see the extreme, extreme disparity in the prize money. Mm. 918000 to Alex Sparrow, 357000 to Barty. Mm. Sparrow played one more set than her in the entire tournament. Yeah. Really disappointing. Yeah, it's huge. And we won't even get time to talk about Daniel Medvedev kicking a camera. Yes. And all the- all the stupidity there. Yes, yes. But yes, going into the US Open, some big, big, big outs already. Rafa Nadal's pulled out because of injury. His season is over. Serena Williams is joining everyone else on the sideline with a torn hamstring. Funny thing about her, I mean, everyone thought it was a fait accompli that she would pass Margaret Court, but it is getting harder and harder and harder. And if I'm not mistaken, she was the oldest player to ever win a major. And that was like five years ago. Yep. So it's getting tough. She has joined Roger Federer officially in the group of all but guaranteed to never win another major. Oof. It's it's tough. It is tough. So before we even talk about the tennis, a couple of things to talk about. Fans have to get vaccinated. Players don't. Yes, and there was big problems with fans trying to enter the stadium. People were waiting for up to two plus hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah, Some yeah. people missed entire matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Well, I guess players are kind of on their own, whereas fans are sitting in close contact with one another. So I can kind of understand it. I mean, my view is they probably all should be players and fans. Yeah, I think they should be be setting the example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's tough. You've had Stefano Sitsipas has said, I won't get vaccinated unless the tour makes me. Novak Djokovic, we know his stance. He won't get vaccinated. But yeah, lots of delays, lots of disruptions. Not a particularly smooth start. Thankfully, it is only day one and they'll hopefully have it right by the time some of the the bigger quarter and semifinals start happening. Yes, absolutely. We've had some really crazy results. I kind of made some predictions because I thought that this was going to be played tonight. I didn't realize it was actually starting, you know, last night over there. I'd seen a couple of things. I was actually really looking forward to the first round matchup between Joe Wilford Songer and Casper Root. I actually thought that one looked like it had the potential to go five, but unfortunately Songer had to pull out with an illness as well. So mm. there's been yeah, a lot of guys pulling out with, with injuries and illnesses. So the other one I was looking at with a bit of interest was the number five seed Andre Rublev against Ivo Karlovic. He's 43. What? Really? No, he's 42. He's nearly 43, which is absolutely crazy. So he's still going around and still giving guys decent matches. I guess his booming serve probably helps. It does. But uh, then we had 
an absolutely crazy match between Andy Murray and Stefano Tsitsipas. Ah, yes, Joey. So he may be the number three seed, but it was the number two that caused controversy for Tsitsipas. <laughs> that is a cracker. Yeah, so uh, basically we got through to the end of the fourth set and Stefanos needed to uh, snap one off. <laughs> So unfortunately, I've talked about in previous episodes with the football, talking about things that ruin momentum. And look, Murray had lost the fourth set, so you could argue that he didn't really have that much momentum. But what it did was mentally ruin Andy Murray's game. And unfortunately for him, it was a fairly quick fifth set and the end of his tournament. Yeah, yep. So there's a couple of really great matches coming up, though. I'm looking forward to Alex Diminor's opener against Taylor Fritz. I think that should be an absolute cracker of a match. There was he. In the women's, I actually feel like there could be a big scalp coming up sometime in the first round. Someone like, say, Victoria Golubic beating Bianca Andreescu or Alison Risk knocking off Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Ash Barty doesn't have exactly a walkover in the first round. Vera Svonareva will give her you know, a little bit of a test. Oh, yeah, for sure. Probably the hardest test she looks to have in the first four rounds if she gets that far. So there could be a lot of really great stuff coming up. Unfortunately, Nick Kyrgios... Really, really disappointing first round exit. I had actually earmarked this game with Roberto Bautista as being another one that could potentially be a classic. Well, he pulled out the Olympics too to prepare for the US Open. So it's even more disappointing given that. It it was. He lost in straight sets. He got bageled in the third set. The fewest number of games won in a Grand Slam for Kyrgios in his career. Ouch. So yeah, not great. But look... We'll see where this is next week. I I dare say there's going to be some crackers. We've already seen a bunch of games be won from two sets to love down. Unfortunately, Aussie James Duckworth was one of them who who lost after being up the two sets. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where we are in the second week of the tournament. And i got to say, Stuart, I was surprised to wake up and find that Sloan Stevens had beaten Madison Keys because Madison Keys was playing bloody well and she was looking like she was going to take that match. I I had to go to bed because it was like quarter to two or something. But, yeah, very surprised to see her escape that one. Early night for you. Yeah, well, yeah, school night. But no, definitely that sets up a, a cracking second round between her and Coco Golf. So Absolutely. the second coming of Serena and Venus Williams with the newest second yes, coming. Yes. So yeah, the changing of the guards. Definitely going to be a cracker. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What do you have for? Well, a lot of great tennis coming up. We just spoke, obviously, about the Sloane Stevens and Coco Golf game, which should Indeed. be a cracker. Indeed. In the AFL, the Lions and Dogs shaping up to be an absolute ripper. I'm not too excited about the potential of it being a day game, though. I'll tell you that much for free. So come on, Aussies in the tennis, and uh, yeah, anyone who isn't, know about Djokovic. How about yourself? <laughs> well, obviously, all AFL finals are good finals, but NFL starts this weekend. So very, yeah. very looking forward to watching that. Can't wait to see the pigskin being thrown around and run around too. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.